0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of DevThink. Your hosts, Nicola and... Sean. Awesome. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about a certain topic that Sean was very excited to talk about, and it is coding on paper. So, Sean, I have no idea what you meant here. So, like, fill us in. What do you want to actually talk about?
1: Sure. So, there is a book called Flash Boys. And it's all about high frequency trading. Now, what does that have to do with programming? Actually, everything. The entire book is all about how banks were using programmers to write code to perform trades uh, at speeds that other systems could not compete with to the extent that they would be watching, say, a stock price. And they would see a trade enter the system saying, I want to buy this stock at this price. It would immediately buy the stock and then sell it to the guy who was trying to, it, trying to buy it for a very small profit. So this software allowed them to never, at the end of the trading day when the trading closed, they always owned zero shares of anything. They never owned anything. They just waited for somebody else to buy it. And right before they could buy it, they would buy it at that price. It was no longer available and sell it at a slightly higher price that was still within the range of what the buyer was willing to pay. And uh, one of the things that was interesting about this book was that many, many, many of the programmers that worked on Wall Street for these big banks writing this code were Russian. And not just of Russian descent, but actually like first generation Russians who grew up in Russia. And one of the Uh, guys who was interviewed for the book, a Russian, he was saying that he thinks Russians are better programmers than Americans or at least were or in that time frame. Maybe they still are.
0: Sean, I have to stop you here before we lose uh, yet another amount of listeners. No, we're not pulling the uh, Cold War or anything like that here.
1: (laughs) No, not even a little bit. I mean, who knows? I mean, I'm American. I don't really know any Russians, so as far as I know, Americans are the best programmers, right? We invented pretty much the internet and computers and Google and every programming language known to man except for what Ruby and Kotlin so but of course again I have no perspective and I'm sure some of the greatest people that did some of that stuff were from other countries or invented them in other countries like we had Einstein but he wasn't born here he you know came from Europe but that's all beside the point so this uh, Russian programmer I forget his name he's interviewed in the book he said that You know, in Russia growing up, these guys didn't have access to computers at home. They only had access to computers for a very limited amount of time at school. So they would write their programs on paper, and they had to be very, very diligent about reading and debugging in their heads before they even typed it into the computer, because once they typed into the computer, if it didn't run, they're out of time. It's—the class is over. So they had to make sure that they thought it through very carefully so that it would run the first time. And if you develop this as a habit, according to this guy, and this is definitely not like science. I don't know about any research behind this. There might be some, I have never heard of it, but if you have to put that kind of thought into your code before you even touch a keyboard, it can only do good things for your, you know, the reliability of your code. And so, that sparked the idea of what are some other things that can make your code better before you start writing it. And I just thought of a few things that I just wanted to throw out there. But before you do, yes,
0: I'm actually going to tell you one thing because I I laughed. I mean, I laughed, I chuckled when you were talking about this because, and as you said that, uh, Russian programmers had to, you know, think in their head, blah, blah, blah. And basically put it on paper. And let me tell you this in my, High school. So yeah, for us, yeah, high school. So probably like second grade of high school, we had uh, this programming course or whatever. And let me, can you guess how we did our programming challenges? I mean, challenges uh, when we had actual uh, exams. You, of Hmm. course, have one guess.
1: I'm going to guess it's on paper.
0: Yes, exactly. So like we got a task, of course, uh, before we were taught, however we were taught Uh, to be looking back now to be honest there was a bit too much theory to I mean now as I'm looking back right but this part this part was actually very good so basically you had to write your program on actual paper and you would submit that give it to the teacher and then in a week or whenever she would come back with your results so yeah uh, like if it would not compile Sorry, right? So, so and yes, lo- looking back, right? This definitely, because honestly at home, I wasn't even like, I mean, I was typing on my computer, but I was literally also writing on my, like on the paper because to train, right? To practice.
1: Right. So this was not in a pseudocode. You had to write in a real language. Real language. So we
0: had uh, at the time, if someone of course, remembers that uh, Pascal,
1: Ah, Pascal. Yes, of course. Every, I think everyone's heard of it. I don't know if anyone listening to this has ever done it. I certainly have not.
0: Yeah, that that was something that we started with. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I
1: have to think that it would... I have a bad habit that I have... I don't know if it's a bad habit. It's something that I've considered my process in the past, where I will write code, and I'll have it running in real time, so I'll have my vim open in a terminal, and the terminal next to it, every time the file is saved, for example, it runs. And I've done that with Python, I've done it with Go. I write some code, I see an error, so I fix the error. So I could have a compiler error, I could have a logic error, whatever. That's okay, I just keep going, and if I see that I've caused a problem, I look at the error, I fix the bug, I add the next line of code, and so on. Which is the exact opposite of writing in advance on paper. And I have also written code on paper, Uh, Just for fun, like with programming exercises to see, you know, to to think through things. And I think it is very, it would probably be very effective if I did it for work, but I haven't actually done it for a work programming project. I'm not sure why. I think maybe it's just the sheer amount of time that it takes to write code with proper syntax by hand um, has probably stopped me.
0: Sure, but probably then a very good idea would be to sketch out, I mean, quote unquote, sketch out on the paper, how you're gonna do it on a high level and then actual implementation, when you have that done, then go into the code, right?
1: Yeah, well, that's funny because you just went into uh, the, the other topics that I wanted to bring up. So in addition to the writing on paper, one thing that I have done a lot of is write little flowcharts on paper or a whiteboard to kind of figure out how I want it to flow. Whiteboarding uh, ideas, discussing with another dev, um, and that flowcharts, whiteboarding, and discussing with another dev are all things that, kind of, they're all kind of the same thing, right? They're interchangeable. You could do two out of the three, three out of three. You can do a flowchart on the whiteboard, so that's kind of all the same idea, but it's worth mentioning them independently. And another thing that I've done a lot is I will go into my editor, and I'll start writing all the comments to the code. I won't actually write the code. I'll just write the comments, and maybe function names. And I'll write, this does this, and then it'll check for this, and if this thing happens, it'll do this. And then, once I've done that, and read through it, and I think it makes sense, then I'll go in and start implementing the code. And the last thing is, and this is something I've actually never done, I've heard it mentioned, and maybe it's a good idea, and that is prototyping. So... Yeah, I always hear about people like, oh, yeah, we'll just write it in like a, a high level language like Python and get a prototype running and then we'll rewrite it in like Java or something like that. And as someone who was a Python programmer, when I started hearing that kind of thing, I'm like, hey, my language isn't a prototyping language. It's a real language. You write real stuff in it, you know. And I think that the problem with prototyping that I've heard, because, again, I've never done it, is if the prototype works, the business pressure generally turns the prototype into the production version, and all of your learning and bad, and all of your learning and mistakes that came along with prototyping get carried along into production instead of polished in the new version. So I haven't tried prototyping, but if anyone has, we now have an email address, info at devthink, so d-e-v-t-h dot um, maybe you can share your experiences with that. So those are really just the topics I wanted to cover.
0: I actually have one question. Since you said that you have this, some kind of a repl kind of, right? That's constantly running and evaluating your code. I have to ask, I mean, have you tried doing uh, TDD as in test-driven development, right?
1: Yep, I absolutely have.
0: And how do you in Um, general feel about it? Because you know, from my experience, uh, it seems like that, uh, how do you say, emotions are divided. So some people are for it. So, I mean, some people swear by it, and some say, nah, you know, okay, fine. I believe in, you know, you know like unit tests, and I kind of like write them after I write the code, but some people like honestly swear by TDD. So what is TDD? You know, you first run, uh, write a test, which will of course fail, and then you make this test pass that's how you kind of like go back and forth. It's go, It goes like, I mean, we can go into this, but we won't now like right. red green refactor, right? Those you write respects. a
1: test that you write a test that can't even run because the function to tests doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. Yes. <laughs> right. So, um, yes, I've used TDD. Um, I definitely don't use it the majority of the time, but the times that I have used it, it has been fantastic. So for example, I wrote a full, uh, API web API using, TDD, and I had a, I use a system called Tmux, and I had a script that would start up Tmux with my Vim editor on one side, and on the right side I had three panes. I was tailing the log, I had the test output, and I had my linter output. All three of those things full-time, so every time I saved any file in the project, I'd be tailing the logs, my the f- linting would run, and the full test suite would run, because it was very fast. And that was great, it worked out really well. And if I, you make any tiny change anywhere in there, you know immediately. And also, your code is minty fresh because you keep it linted. And another time, my, my probably biggest success story with TDD was I was writing some code that was for part of a payment system. So this was gonna be paying out, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially a day. And there was a special feature I had to add where based on account history, like if they'd received pre-funding, I had to adjust the payment and either not pay it or pay less if they had a pre-funding balance. So, as you can imagine, a bug here would be disastrous. I used TDD to write this and I wrote it before lunch one day. And never, for years, was there ever a single problem with that code. And, you know, that was a a tricky little bit of, of, I mean, it wasn't tricky, it was very easy to describe and understand, but it's super easy to make a mistake, a small logic error, which would result in thousands of dollars being not paid or overpaid. So yes, TDD is great. Uh, another thing that makes TDD amazing, and here I just said I don't do it most of the time, but if you write test-driven code, you will have more functions and smaller functions. Which means they're much easier to read and maintain by other developers, and another very important thing that's always extremely overlooked with that is if you try to write the tests afterwards, your functions will be bigger and will do more, and sometimes it'll be difficult or impossible to write good tests for them. You'll have to refactor the code that you just wrote just to make it testable. Yep. So there are a lot of reasons to do TDD.
0: Yep, totally agree on this one, of course. <laughs> uh, actually, so one more question. When you said, you know, talking to another dev, uh, I thought about uh, the, what's, what's the name for it? Rubber ducky debugging, you know? It's kind of similar, although it doesn't, like, you don't get the feedback from the rubber ducky, but it's useful nonetheless for, you know, debugging, right?
1: Yeah, so rubber ducking, uh, as you mentioned, is when you, Talk, tell someone, well, actually, I should go a little more detail on it. Rubber ducking is when, you, we've all done this, you have a problem, you're trying to figure it out, you kind of get stuck, you're like, oh, let me go ask Nicola. So I go, hey, Nicola, can you help me with something? He says yes. And then I explain the problem, and while I'm explaining the explaining the problem, before he even says anything, I go, oh, I got it. And that's just because psychologically or physiologically or something, there's, there's a real difference in the human brain when you verbalize something actually out loud versus just thinking about it and your brain processes it more completely or better or differently. I don't know. I'm not a neurologist, but that will happen. But my, uh, experience shows me that if you talk to another dev, not only does that happen, but, um, there's a, a tool that I really love. It's called Z and Nicola uses it religiously as well. Yes. And it was written by a former coworker of mine, Rupa. And he came on to into the startup that I was in a couple of years after I did. I hired him, and ultimately I put him in charge of one of our products. He was the main dev. He was the dev lead on a product that I used to be the dev lead on. And after that, he would always ask me a question. He'd be like, hey, I I've thought of this feature, or there's this ticket, or there's this bug, and I was thinking about doing blah, blah, blah. And I would say to him, dude, it's your project. You, I trust you. You're in this position for a reason because you've proven yourself and you're good, you know, do what you want to do. And he's like, no, I really, you know, want to, I want to bat it back and forth. So he would tell me something, his idea, A, and I'd say, oh, what about idea B? And he'd be like, no, because idea B does this thing, which my idea already solves. I was like, oh, what about idea D? And he's like, what about idea E? By the time we're done, we're on like version seven or eight of this. It's something we're both happy with and something that's way better than my first couple ideas and his first couple ideas. So, and he knew this, he was smarter than me in that way that, but his initial idea would have been fine. You know, my initial idea would have been fine in most, most of the time, but that version seven that the two of us got just by arguing about it for five or 10 minutes was the design. It was just better. So that can not, I mean, that's probably the benefit you get from pair programming, which we didn't do, but if anyone has done pair programming, you probably get the same benefit, even on a minute-by-minute basis.
0: True. And we don't want to go into the pair programming uh, show now, but just shortly, it may seem like you're wasting time for two devs where one can do the work, but honestly, no, it it pays way more. But Sean, I actually think we have our new uh, podcast show idea.
1: Sure, that'll be a future episode. And that's something I've actually never done. I've never really done pair programming officially, so um that would be interesting to hear about.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I did. Uh, I used to do that in school. And also, oh, actually, so I did the remote pair programming, which is also interesting.
1: Yeah, and it's only gonna get better. There's that new feature that's in uh I think invitation only for VS Code, but they have a feature that they just announced there are YouTube videos and things where you can pair with someone over VS Code. You could each be in your own editor Each with all your own settings, your own font size and layouts and color schemes, and edit simultaneously, kind of like a Google Doc. So that's going to be really cool when that happens.
0: Yeah, I saw that like last week. No, this week, actually. It looks amazing.
1: All right, everybody. That's our episode for today. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the DevThink podcast. To reach us for comments, show suggestions, and other feedback, contact us at info at devthink that's d-e-v-t-h dot i-n-k our intro music is by rupa deadweiler no animals were harmed in the making of this podcast